All right. According to my notes, the Green Bay Packers have the 15th pick in the draft, and we are officially at the point in draft season where 64 players won't be available at pick 15. This is fun. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews. Today we're covering a couple different things, but mostly I want to spend the time just talking about four prospects for the draft that maybe made some waves earlier in the process that aren't getting talked about now, that are good fits for the Packers for different reasons, Um, maybe guys that are just kind of being overlooked or not talked about early enough or whatever. I just wanted to enter four guys into the conversation. And another unique thing about all four of these guys is I've seen... You know, not that they haven't been talked about with the Packers specifically, but I think that the consensus is just all over the map on where these four players may go. I've seen a couple of them projected as high as late round two, and some of them falling all the way back to round seven. So I just want to hone in on these players and talk about why they may be fits for the Green Bay Packers. What do they do well versus not? One quick thing that I do want to address, though, obviously we're all still waiting on a certain trade to occur, and the rest of the franchise is just kind of in a holding pattern, right? I mean, we're not quite to the draft. We're, we're checking those boxes. We're getting closer and closer and closer, but we're not there yet. And so it's all prospects right now until a player like David Bakhtiari pops up in the news and offers something to talk about. And in my video the other day, in Wednesday, I think I just went over it a little too quickly. I was at the end of the video, I was trying to cover things really, really fast, and so I didn't didn't think I spoke as articulately as I wanted to. And basically, at the end of the day, my final thoughts here on David Bakhtiari and his appearance on Bustin' with the Boys is I don't, I really don't, I don't believe that he was saying that the Packers are going to suck. I do think he was saying that that's a very outward perception Though, especially coming from Vegas, considering that they were talking about betting lines. But however, I mean, it's not like Dave Bakhtiari spoke glowingly about everything either. And I do acknowledge that, that the use of they versus us and stuff, it it just doesn't look good, right? It's just not a good look. But I think Matt Schneiderman from The Athletic probably put it best when he said, sometimes you just don't have to be that real. Like, he agrees that Bakhtiari probably wasn't just, like, sitting there openly trashing the backers. But at the same time, do you have to say all that? And I think that that's kind of where I wound up on the topic. The, the people calling for David Bakhtiari to immediately get traded because he's no longer loyal? Come on. To me, that's going over the top. And yes, I do still have much an issue with the, let's call them Packer media outlets, who purposefully chose just a couple words out of that 10-minute section of the interview and put it out there in order to be inflammatory, to get visceral reactions like get rid of David Bakhtiari. You know, I may not expound as much as I should. Sometimes I talk too much. But one thing I do pride about this channel and, and how I talk is that I'm not going to just drop a singular quote on you I do always try, at the very least, to provide as much context as I possibly can. And I felt as though this one's one area that was just downright irresponsible by some folks, because it didn't provide the context to truly get a grip on what the player was actually saying. doesn't mean that it was the best look for the player. It doesn't mean that he should have said it. But context does matter. That's enough of that. Let's dive in here to 
four NFL draft prospects that all are projected to go late, with the exception of some mock drafts, but guys that I think could be great fits for what the Packers are looking for, for different reasons. So, number one, let's talk about him, the combine darling himself. Yes, the guy who, even though he had 62 catches in his senior year in college, was all of a sudden compared to Calvin Johnson at the combine, Bryce Ford Wheaton. And look, here's what kind of happened with him, right? The combine happened. He tested really, really well. And then everyone's like, holy crap, who's this? And then all of a sudden the combine got done and everyone kept on diving into it. And, you know, now he's not talked about really much at all. But we know, we know the Green Bay Packers have a type at wide receiver. They like them big. They like them tall. They like them fast. They like the athletic guys, right? Especially the big ones. And if you can chip in some blocking there too, congratulations, you're a Packers type. I talked in the last video about why Jack, or my last mock draft, about how Jackson Smith and Jigba may not be the ideal fit for the Packers. As much as I personally love him, as much as he would be a great fit in a lot of ways for the offense, the Packers themselves generally have a tendency to look more so for just X receivers, big dudes. They don't generally go for the little slots. Well, if you're looking for a big dude, Bryce Ford Wheaton. Six foot four, 220 pounds, with a rest score of 9.97. Yes, one of the best ever, 9.97. You know, the only question about that rest score, too, was his three cone, uh, which did drag his score down from a perfect 10, just a little. But that three cone happened to be almost identical to Christian Watson, so it's not exactly like it's out of the realm of what the Packers may like. Uh, even going out from that in his senior year, like I mentioned earlier, it's 62 catches, 675 yards, and seven touchdowns in his senior year in college. What are the goods? Well, I mean, look, the RAS score. Let's just leave it at that. The man has a tremendous athletic profile. The other really good things about him is he does block very well. I feel like that's kind of an underrated part of his game as you look at these dazzling combine numbers. He does block well. He's continued to increase his statistical output every year in school. That's not to be overlooked. There's guys in this list that haven't done it to this extent. And the other thing, too, is he's not afraid of anything. Yes, he's got the athletic profile and the testing of a, of a guy who can blaze down the field. But at the same time, he acts more like a big physical receiver. I don't want to say he's overly handsy, but he certainly is willing to dive into hand fighting. He's not afraid of being covered by anyone. He's feisty for a wide receiver. And this is the Packers type. Not to mention, uh, I saw a few outlets call him a jump ball specialist. Now, we know how Aaron Rodgers hated the jump ball. He very, very rarely threw it. And if he was throwing it, it was only to guys who earned that top-level gold medal trust from AR-12. Well, we don't know that that's going to be the case with Jordan Love. And jump ball specialists are something that the Packers haven't employed that much of over the last couple of years, minus maybe Jimmy Graham, to an extent, even though it never worked with Jimmy Graham. Bryce Ford Wheaton could add an element to the red zone that the Packers haven't had. And even in amongst their red zone woes. Now let's look at the bad. First of all, with a guy of his athletic profile and size, you'd think that this would be a 95-catch receiver in college, and yet it wasn't. His senior year, he posted 62 catches. So he does have some questions as to why did he not produce more in college. Not only that, but given how fast he can run the 40... Given how fast he is, why is it that his tape is riddled with contested catches? Why is he not getting separation? Why is he not running right past dudes? Calvin Johnson in college also had a number of contested catches, but there was also a bunch of clips where he just straight up ran past people. Bryce Ford Wheaton doesn't have that. He always seems to be tight in 
with the coverage. And luckily, he's used his body to learn how to get away with it, but he needs to start separating more and more. The other aspect of his game that just needs improvement and refinement would be his route running. Overall, in college, he's run a fairly limited route tree. He needs to run more routes in the NFL, but not only that, they need to become crisper, more refined, more technically based, as opposed to just using his athletic gifts to get by. Now, how does he fit with the Packers? Really well. I've already talked about how he is the Packers type. We know that this is what they look for at wide receiver. And it really, like, we know that they want to employ Christian Watson in the slot. We know that they like to mix up their receivers and where they go. And so if you can keep on stacking up your receiver room with more body types and athletic freaks like Watson, then it's not a bad thing. Candidate number two that I'm going to talk about happens to be a very, very well-experienced player who currently is dealing with an injury, and I think that actually might be why he's a decent fit for the Packers. Coming in at six foot six, 310 pounds, Andrew Borges from the University of USC. Now, right off the bat, yeah, six foot six, 310 pounds, but he does only have 32 and an eighth inch arms. That does fall a little bit short of where the Packers generally like their arms for O-linemen. They generally like them to be closer to the 33, 34 range. But they're also not as strict at that when it comes to interior offensive linemen, which Voorhees projects to be in the NFL. I mean, overall, this is a man. Let's just start there. Like, his experience at the collegiate level is absurd. He's totaled up 3,491 total snaps. But now listen to the differentiation across where those snaps have come. At left tackle, 402. Left guard, 1,634. Right guard, 1,392. And at right tackle, 61. I mean, the guy has played all over for USC. The left tackle time came predominantly in 2021. But he belongs at guard, and we know that. The big knock on him, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but the big knock on him is that his athletic profile isn't exactly dazzling. This is a behemoth of a man who's a tremendous anchor, but his extremities are what's kind of slow. His hands, while he may adjust them while pass blocking, are erratic and oftentimes go to the wrong spot. His feet can be slow, his footwork dodgy. But once he sets his base, he is an anchor. I mean, his torso, his core, all of that is good and rock solid. It's the extremities that lead to questions. Realistically, a lot of people considered that he was such an effective performer in college that while he still might have been a mid-round pick, he could have been a starter from day one. His technique is there. What he needs to shore up is kind of his extremity technique. Speaking of competency in college, PFF graded him as an 82.5 with the run blocking, 80.1 pass blocking this last year in college. Uh, Ultimately, at the end of the day, this is a very, very strong human being who presents a tremendous anchor. Where he needs help is kind of, like I said, the extremities. But why is he a good fit for the Packers? I mean, come on. He tore his ACL at the Combine. Not only did he tear his ACL at the combine, but then after that, he did the bench anyway with a blown out ACL. Why is he a good fit for the Packers, though? We know that the Packers have invested heavily at tackle over the last few years. Caleb Jones, Rasheed Walker, picking up Luke Tenuta, etc. Sean Ryan, who has the versatility to be outside in, even though he's probably more in. And I kind of view Andrew Voorhees in that Sean Ryan mold, someone who the Packers can pick to actually train to be on the interior. One position he hasn't played is center. That's a little bit of a knock because the Packers could use some center depth. But ultimately, at the end of the day, one thing place that they haven't invested enough realistically is the interior offensive line. And Andrew Voorhees can be the solution. We've also talked extensively about how 2024, the depth on the offensive line starts getting smaller and smaller. 
Yash being a free agent again. Uh, John Runyon Jr.'s contract coming up pretty soon. Josh Myers only has two years left. David Bakhtiari might be playing his last year in Green Bay. They need the next generation of O-linemen to start coming in, so if you can get what is considered a pretty NFL-ready prospect at the guard position who's just going to redshirt this year in rehab, but you can get him on a bargain this year. I've seen him mocked anywhere from now with the torn ACL from rounds four to seven. If you can get him in that late part of the draft, like round seven, do it. Because you might nab yourself a future starting guard, even if you just need to pay for his rehab this year. Moving on to the next candidate, this is an edge player, and this is not at all the Packers' prototype edge player, but the production's there. Boy, oh boy, is the production there. I'm going to go with Nick Hampton from Appalachian State, coming in at six foot two, only 236 pounds. That's a little, that's a little man for how the Packers like their edge. Generally, they like their edge players to be about 265 to 275 pounds, somewhere in that stratosphere. So 236 is tiny. But we also know that the Packers may be in the market for someone who's more of a pass rush specialist. Someone who's smaller. They did do a top 30 visit with Will McDonald. They've investigated. They did a local visit with Nick Herberg from the University of Wisconsin. So they're at least looking at guys who don't fit their general weight thresholds. Some pass rush specialist types who are ultra bendy and quick, but may not be able to hold an edge like Preston Smith. And to me, that's Nick Hampton in the latter part of the draft. His stats over his four years starting, 175 tackles, 40 for loss, 26.5 sacks, four pass deflections, six forced fumbles. This last year alone as a senior, he had seven sacks and 11 and a half tackles for loss. You're looking for the good. This is a guy who's been a team captain for the last two years. And he has all the stuff that you want for an edge rusher. The speed, the agility, the bend, the twitch, the explosion. The problem is that explosion isn't always accompanied by strength. Realistically, at 236 pounds, he just gets out-muscled by big guys. And certainly, if he gets locked up with an O-lineman, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> he is not breaking through. He does need to work on his pass rushing technique, specifically the moves. He can't just outspeed everyone in the NFL. And that's the big knock. It's, he gets locked down. But he does have all the traits that you want for an edge rusher. And the productivity doesn't lie. With a 9.74 RAS score and a 4.5840, this is a guy who has the athletic profile. If you can add to his pass rush repertoire, he could become an effective pass rusher at the next level, despite not having the greatest strength. To me, if you're looking for someone in the latter part of the draft, a pass rush specialist after the big names are gone, if you strike out like I did in the mock draft, Nick Hampton stands a chance. Now going on to the last player, and he's a player who's been included in one of my mock drafts before. This would be Anthony Johnson Jr., safety from Iowa State. I know I'm going to talk about Anthony Johnson Jr. Special shout-out, though, to Jason Taylor II, who fits much of this same mold who I just talked about in the last mock draft. But Anthony Johnson Jr. is a guy, he comes in at 6 feet, that's over the threshold, 205 pounds, over the threshold. His RAS score was 8.13, which really ultimately was dragged down by the fact that they made him do the bench press. He get 12 reps at the bench press, which isn't even that terrible. It's not great, but it's not awful. But it really did break down his score. His stats this last year at Iowa State, 60 tackles, 2 picks, 1 forced fumble. But most importantly, a 51.7 QB rating when he was targeted. Now, for a safety, that's a phenomenal number. And why might he have that number? Because the dude spent most of his collegiate career playing corner. Boundary corner, not even slot. He's not some like Brian Branch from Alabama. He played boundary corner all the way up until this last year. And then what happened was the Iowa State coaches went to him and said, hey, you've put up great things as a corner. We've had our safeties leave. 
for your senior year, it's in the best interest of the program if you start playing safety. So they switched him to this modified, like, hybrid star safety role. And yes, star, like Joe Barry likes to employ. So he did it. And then Iowa State wound up having one of the best college defenses in the country this year. At the end of the day, this guy is a leader. And if you look over his resume, you're just going to see academic awards all over the place, a Good Works Award nominee, scholarships. The guy's a leader for one of the best defenses in the country. He also played 418 special team snaps over the last couple of years, showing that he's, A, he's not afraid to do it, but B, he's competent at it. If you're really looking for what he does well as a safety, you see the cornerback coverage skills come in. He's very fluid in his coverage. And he hits aggressively. He doesn't always hit his target. We're going to get to that in a minute. But he hits aggressively. And as a safety, he has no fear whatsoever. He will barrel through run lines. That's the bad Agility is a little bit of a concern by all accounts. I mean, I read some varying things about his hips, whether they're great or whether they're bad, whatever. Uh, but his agility is a little bit of a concern, at least I did pick up on that theme. This year, sure, he played kind of this star role, right? 250 of his snaps came in the slot. 258 of them came as an actual, like, deep safety. So some concern there over how much are you going to employ him as, as a deep safety versus a box, so that's a question that the Packers have to answer. And then in the last two years, he has 25 missed tackles, partly because he's such an aggressive tackler. If he comes in and with a full head of steam and then misses, it's a missed tackle. <laughs> and it's not good. And the Packers have plenty of that already. So if he can kind of get that under control, but then keep his coverage skills present as a safety I like it a lot. And look, there are certain positions on the football field. Mina Kimes just talked about this this morning in a clip that she put out to Twitter, actually. Mina Kimes said that part of the reason Michael Mayer may be falling on draft boards is because a lot of teams may be valuing at just straight-up athletes at tight end. Guys who have the traits that then you can teach how to play tight end in the NFL. Look at George Kittle, others, etc. Because first-round tight ends haven't, haven't produced. I view the safety position almost the complete opposite way. Sure, tight end. Maybe you want a raw athlete. At safety, I want someone who's got the athletic traits, but I also want someone who has the productivity to match. Someone who I know is smart enough to play the position and can read coverages. Kind of some of the stuff you can't always teach. I know you can't teach how to be fast or strong either, but safety I view a little differently. I want someone back there who's done it before. And Anthony Johnson Jr., as a leader, as a communicator... The man's done it. And he's put his team first before two, two great results. For a late-round safety pick, if you're looking to plug that hole, I like Anthony Johnson Jr. a lot. So those are our four candidates for the day. I do hope you enjoyed this, this little dive into four candidates, just four names that I kind of want to bring into the conversation a little bit more. Hey, one last note. If you happen to be in the Green Bay area tomorrow, I am going to be at the Green Bay Card Show. Yes, April 15th at the KI Convention Center. I will be there. Uh, I've got a vendor booth set up. I'm going to be selling some sports memorabilia because everyone knows that that's also what I do. Um, but I'm going to be there. Uh, if, if you're a subscriber to the channel, uh, I would love to meet you tomorrow. So stop on out. KI Convention Center, April 15th for the Green Bay Card Show. Thanks so much for joining me today. I do hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend as we get closer to the draft. And as always, Go Pack Go!